it's Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know if you guys know this or not, so we're beginning a short series on the Trinity. You're probably wondering what the Trinity and the Super Bowl have in common. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. In fact, the Super Bowl has nothing in common with God at all. Uh, that's why we don't have Super Bowl uh, Sunday morning services. Uh, instead, we, we keep our world separate uh, in that. Uh, does anybody even care about the Super Bowl? Uh, I don't. Oh. There's a few who do care about the Super Bowl. The Kansas City Chiefs are playing today, and I hate to break it to you, but as much as I don't really like Tom Brady, I'm rooting for the old guy. Like, I mean, he, he's one of me. He's a rich one of me, but like, he's like my age, and I, I, he might even be older than me. I don't know. So I'm, I'm rooting for the old guy as I sit there with my broken hip thinking about him. What's that? Yeah, f- oh, 43. Yeah, so... Me and Tom. (laughs) I thought 2020 wasn't tough enough, so I thought, why not dive into a theological concept that is difficult to understand, let alone explain? However, it is one thing that I'm sensing as a pastor as we are getting into times in which our faith and what we believe is being challenged. And I, and I think that uh, if we don't understand what it is that we believe, what can happen is when, when our faith or our doctrine or our theology belief system is beginning to be challenged, if we don't fully understand it, uh, it can shake our faith. And, and then what can happen is everything else begins to crumble underneath it. And so Uh, I think it's really important for us in our spiritual formation, as we talked about last week, that this is kind of the theme for this year, uh, for us to really dive into what is it that we believe? Why why do we believe these things? And uh, and how does it affect our everyday life? And so we're going to take a look uh, over the next few weeks at the personhood of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe growing up, you heard the Father, the Son, and the the Holy Ghost. I always was terrified of that because the ghost, in, when I was a kid, is not, in, I mean, other than Casper the Friendly Ghost, uh, ghost was not something that you really wanted in your life. Uh, and so the Holy Ghost was kind of this uh, oxymoron. It was like, how can a ghost be holy? And there's a young boy who uh, came home from from kids' church one Sunday morning, and his dad in the car ride home asked him, uh, how, what he learned at kids' church. You know, what'd you learn in class, son? And he's like, well, I just want to know about the East Coast. And, and his dad's like, well, what about the East Coast? He's like, well, he's like, I kept hearing in class about the Father and the Son and the whole West Coast. And, and I just want to know, does the East Coast need Jesus too? And the dad responded, I, I think it's the Holy Ghost, not the whole West Coast. But we can all agree that, that the <laughs> Southeast Coast loves Jesus. The Northeast Coast, probably not so much. But we can all agree that the West Coast definitely needs Jesus, right? That's why we all moved away from there. I want to start off by saying that uh, what we're about to talk about uh, today, what I'm about to share with you, is really 
impossible for us to fully understand. Like this concept of the Trinity is, is really one of those areas where you don't really hear a lot of sermons about it. Uh, you don't hear a lot of messages on the Trinity. And, and honestly, it's because it's difficult to explain. It's difficult to understand. And if you've struggled throughout your faith uh, in trying to explain this, when people press you, you're in good company. See, we can't comprehend that which we have no tangible expression of. We can try and come up with illustrations and examples, but honestly, they all fall short. We can try to explain the, the majesty and the, uh, the goodness, even the goodness of God. We can sing about it and we can try to explain it, but to really understand it fully is, is almost impossible. There's a story of a little girl drawing, and her mother asked what it was that she was drawing, and she says, I'm drawing a picture of God. The mother tells her, well, that's impossible, as no one knows what God looks like. And the girl looks up at her mom and says, well, they will when I'm finished. <laughs> I'm not as confident in that, as that little girl that you will have a perfect picture of the Trinity when we're done. But I am hoping that as we go through this series, that, it, that I'll be able to at least shed some light into uh, the, the theological doctrinal concept of the Trinity, uh, a concept that is often skipped over or left unexplained. John Wesley, uh, so I feel like I'm in good company, said about the Trinity, bring, a, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. I don't think, I went back and I, I searched in my notes whether or not I've ever preached a message on the Trinity, and I, I don't think I have, uh, not as a theological concept, and there's some reasons for that. One is the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, which is really not all that unusual because there are a number of different theological concepts that that aren't found explicitly in the Bible, that scholars and the church have really embraced over, uh, over the 2,000 years. But, but the absence of like a direct teaching on the Trinity in Scripture makes it really hard to find a passage of Scripture to kind of, uh, as, a, as a starting point uh, for it. Uh, the passage that I'm about to read has hints of this Trinity relationship, this Trinitarian relationship of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but you have to look carefully for it. It comes from John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The second reason I really haven't preached directly on the Trinity is because it is a topic or a concept from a uh, discipline that is called systematic theology. I took this class in Bible college, and uh, maybe you have heard of systematic theology. It's 
really an attempt by theologians to craft a coherent understanding of the works of God. Uh, Typically, systematic theologies are crafted from Scripture, from church tradition, and the overarching philosophy of the particular theologian who's writing it. So the topics of systematic theology tend to be conceptual and honestly are really difficult to preach on in a way that doesn't cause you to want to fall asleep. It's, it's, not, it's, it's a little like this when you're teaching systematic theology and uh, it's hard to find humor. There's no more jokes in the rest of the message. In fact, you're just going to have to uh, put on your thinking caps today. The primary reason I think I haven't preached specifically on the Trinity is because it's one of the doctrines that although Christians worldwidely affirm, worldwidely, worldwide affirm, uh, it's really difficult to explain. The idea of one God in three persons, three in one, is a concept that we have uh, difficult getting our, our minds around because it's, it's not something that we currently function in. And over the years, there's lots of illustrations given, but I don't think any of them are really all that helpful. Uh, I've heard the illustration used that the Trinity is like an apple, that you've got the, the, the outside of the apple, right, the, the peel, and then you've got the flesh of the apple, and then you have the core of the apple. But, but of course, that doesn't really work because we know that God is not an apple. And we know that you throw out the core and you can't really throw out God in this. And so it's, it, it, it doesn't work. I've, I've heard it explained. I think it was St. Patrick that explained that, that the Trinity is like a clover leaf. It's, it's got three parts, but it's all one uh, flower. Is it a flower? Is it a weed? I don't know. But whatever it is, that it's, it's, it's that. And, and yet, that doesn't really work for us either because we know that God is not a clover or a flower. It leaves us just a little bit short. Several years ago, an interesting book titled The Shack became a bestseller, and there was a movie about it uh, that, that came afterwards. And the story was compelling. It was, it was actually really good. But one aspect of of that that really sparked a discussion and really some controversy was how the author represented the Trinity in the book. Uh, For God the Father, Young portrayed God as a large black woman who was outgoing, warm-hearted, and kind. For God the Holy Spirit, Young's persona was that of an Asian woman dressed in bright colors who seemed to dart in and out of sight like like Tinkerbell, kind of. And for Jesus, the author pretty much stayed with the stereotype, which was uh, Jesus as a workman with jeans and a flannel shirt and a tool belt. And each of these personas of God exhibited a unique characteristic, and each had a very specific role to play in the fictional story. But as as creative as it was, this portrayal of the Trinity, uh, it was compelling and it was insightful, but it really fell short again of the theological clear definition of the Trinity. 
Maybe the best two examples that I've heard explain the Trinity are one by C.S. Lewis uh, out of his book, Mere Christianity. If you've not read that book, it's a real easy read. Uh, I highly recommend that for you. But he explained that we are two-dimensional beings in a three-dimensional world, that that in two dimensions, you can draw lines. And I'm probably grossly uh, explaining his, uh, his explanation of this. But, but in two dimensions, you can draw lines. And if you draw four lines, you can draw a box, a square, I should say. You could draw a square in two dimensions. But if you take that square and you add five more to that, you can actually draw a cube. And that in the concept of the Trinity, although that there is a square made up of six squares, it becomes a cube. So it's clear, right? Exactly what the Trinity is. <laughs> yeah. I'll explain it this way. I, I heard this illustration. Actually, Kelly, can you hand me my phone? Uh, you guys will understand this one a little bit better. Uh, anything that involves your phone, you'll, you'll grab hold of. So I could have this phone in my hand, and, uh, and you could ask the question, what is that? And my response to you would be, well, this is a, this is a phone. This, this, th- that's a, a nature question. What is the nature of this phone? It does not have life. It's not, the the question isn't, who is this? I know we call it Siri and, you know, whatever. but, But the nature question is, what is this? And I would say, well, it's a non-living digital device that we are all attached way too much to. You could also ask the question directed towards me, what is that? It's a little rude of a question, but you could ask it, what is it? And that is a nature question as, as to what am I? I am a human being. I have life. I breathe. That, that, that is a nature question. You could also ask, who is that to me? And I would tell you that I am Ryan, that my whatness is my nature, not my whiteness, my whatness is my nature. It's too soon for that stuff. <laughs> my whoness is my personhood. Is that easy to understand? So in the case of, in the context of the Trinity, the whatness is the nature, the whoness is the personhood of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all one nature, three personhoods. Is it easy to understand? No. No, we don't have three personhoods. We don't have a concept for, I don't have three personhoods. I know, you know, I know what you're thinking, oh, there's people who have multiple personalities and all that. No, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about three persons, almost like three minds. We don't have that. And so it's difficult for us to understand this concept. But could I propose the fact that if we could only conceive of a God who is like us, then he's not a very big God. 
right? That if, if we can fully understand it in our limited capacity and our humanness, then we don't serve a great God. Anyone that says that if I can't explain it, I don't believe it, I would just push back and say, well, it, do you believe in an eternal God? Do you believe in eternity? And oftentimes, people of faith would say, yes, I, I believe in eternity. Even people outside the Christian faith, whether you're Muslim or whatever, that, that they would believe in eternity and yet, as an individual, we don't comprehend eternal things because we have a beginning and an end. And so for us to have to fully understand a concept in order for us to have faith or believe in it isn't really practical in this concept, and I would just argue limits the God that we serve. So this idea of a triune God, the, the Trinity, is a difficult idea to grasp. And it's been difficult for Christians from the early church all the way down to today. And some attempts have failed miserably to capture the, the three-in-oneness of God. And these imperfect attempts to define the Trinity become heresy. See, a heresy is a doctrine or teaching that is incompatible with the church's view of Scripture or incompatible with the traditional understanding of those who have gone before us. And uh, there are two primary heresies of the Trinity, although there are probably more than two, but primary ones are modalism and subordinationism. First, modalism, that there were those who said that God was one God who just appeared in three different roles or three different modalities as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A good illustration of this is one that I have heard used to describe the Trinity, but unfortunately it falls short. Again, that, that there is just three different versions of God. The, this example you could use, uh, although ineffectively, would be that I am Ryan Coffey, but I am husband to Kelly. I am father to Jacob, Claire, and Marley. I am pastor of Lifehouse Church, that I am one but have different roles. That is the heresy of modalism. Mod Thank you, modalism. The other heresy is that God the Father is supreme over the Son and the Holy Spirit, that they're subordinate to him in some way. Uh, the details of all of that are not as important, but I'll just say, if you trust me, that is not what the Bible teaches. There are other things that can creep into the church, and I'm just explaining these things because if we don't understand them and if we are not careful, they can creep into our own life, but they can also creep into the church. One is that we focus only on the Holy Spirit. That is a well-known fact that there are movements in the church that have placed great emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit. 
They have emphasized the filling of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which are prioritized by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is actually has a positive effect in our Christian life. We are a part of a denomination that is considered a Pentecostal spirit-filled denomination. We believe in the power and the presence of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. We see this reintroduced in Christian worship, in, in concepts, in understandings of things that have at times been forgotten. However, excessive and or exclusive emphasis on the Holy Spirit can be dangerous. Right when we speak of the Holy Spirit only, uh, when we speak of the Holy Spirit only and neglect the Father and the Son, what happens is we develop a lopsided form of Christianity that always descends into emotionalism and a form of Christianity that really kind of has a loss of order and uh, taken to the most extreme circumstances can result in cultish behavior. Someone once described the Spirit as the shy member of the Trinity, meaning he doesn't draw attention to himself, but brings Jesus into focus. Then there's the Jesus-only perspective, that if some put all of their em emphasis on the Spirit, others largely group, uh, a large group commit a different error, placing an exclusive stress on the person of Jesus, meaning that the work of the Father and the Holy Spirit are completely ignored. This group of people think nothing else matters but my personal Savior, and everything is about Jesus and me, Jesus and me, Jesus and me, and, and honestly can be reinforced in some of our modern-day worship songs. When we uh, sing about Jesus as our friend and, and all that, sometimes what can happen is we lose the divinity of Jesus, and what happens is we begin to place ourselves almost at the same playing ground, almost on equal terms with Jesus. That Christianity is not just about Jesus, it's about, uh, it's not just about a personal